If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Isaiah. And we are continuing our sermon series as we look at this mysterious, shadowy figure who is named there the servant of the Lord. Uh, this, this person who is used by God to bring healing, restoration, salvation to the world. I, I, I wonder who he could be talking about. <laughs> and last week we looked at Isaiah 53, you know, one of, maybe the most, um, significant, memorable portions of all the Bible. And that's the fourth of the servant songs. I mean, technically, there are only four, and we've finished all of them. But the remaining passages I want to cover in Advent, they have servant of the Lord echoes. I think you'll hear it here in in Isaiah 55. 55, 55.1, he says, Come. All you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. I mean, why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you that, you know, in the New Testament we know comes to full light in Jesus. Uh, An everlasting covenant, I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David See how I used David to display my power among the peoples. I made him a leader among the nations. You also will command nations you do not know. And peoples unknown to you will come running to obey. Because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on the Lord while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and banish the very thought of evil. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. To our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, So are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower, bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Then chapter, or verses 12 and 13 finish with this, with this utopian vision of the renewal that comes to the world. And whenever I see the metaphor of trees clapping and dancing or hills singing, I always think of the Ents from Lord of the Rings. Imagine the Ents dancing. It says, you, this is what will happen one day, the day that we're adventing, waiting for. You will live in joy... And be led forth in peace. 
The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Where once there were thorns, a la Genesis chapter 3, cypress trees will grow. Where nettles used to grow, where nettles grew, myrtles will sprout up. These events, the restoration of all things, will bring great honor to the Lord's name. They will be an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Some of you can remember the the days long ago when uh, mom-and-pop grocery stores kind of dotted the landscape of America. Remember those days, a few of you at least? Just the local neighborhood grocery store. Uh, My granddaddy back, Granddaddy George in Atlanta, had his own mom-and-pop neighborhood grocery store in the 1960s. And I was born in 1975, and that, he, he had gone out of business long before I was around. Um, so I never got to visit it. I wish, that, man, I really, you know how it is with, with grandparents, um, you wish you got to ask them questions that you never got to ask them, or see pictures that you never got to see. My granddaddy died when I was, I think, in the fourth grade, and he was a man I did not know very well. Uh, I, I never saw his, his grocery store, but and we, we used to have one right down here in, uh, off of 8th Street. What was the name of the mom-and-pop grocery store there? The Hollywood, the Hollywood Market. And I think they went out of business two years ago. There, there's something about walking into uh, a place like that. And I mean, the shop owner, he, I think that he has to do all the different chores. I mean, not only does he stand behind the checkout counter, but he's probably the butcher, and he's probably the baker, and he's probably the stock boy. He does all of that. Imagine walking into the old Hollywood market, and you come in, they have a, a rack of wine there, vintage stuff. You pull a bottle off the shelf and you have to blow on it to get the dust. Uh, and you take it up to the counter and you ask him, how much does this cost? And he says, 0.00. You go back to the butcher's counter and uh, there's beef brisket there and it's marked as Zero dollars per pound. You you look at the where the I don't know the potato chips are, and it's a buy one free get one free. <laughs> That's the image that Isaiah starts out this passage with. Did you see it in verse one? It's the image of a, of a marketplace, a food market, where he says, "Come on in." Even if you're just penniless and you don't have two nickels to rub together, just come on in and start buying because everything inside of here is free. Is that how you think of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Like it's, is it that free? Is it that wonderful and free? Um, I can't imagine that anybody did their Black Friday shopping at local grocery stores. <laughs> I mean, when we do Black Friday shopping, people get up at 4.30 in the morning to be in the uh, line outside of Best Buy because, hey, you want, 
You want your electronics. You got to get your, your Xbox that's deeply discounted. Or, you, or um, I think my gal, girls one year went to Kohl's because they had some type of... But imagine a line of people just snaking around an entire city block down here in the north end leading out of the Hollywood market. Um, and that's, that's the picture we have of Isaiah 55. Come, come, come. He says it like four times. At the come, come and buy. I want to talk briefly about the invitation here. And um, four things I want to say about Isaiah's invitation. Number one, that basically Isaiah is doing evangelism. He's, he's sharing the, the good news of the free offer of the gospel of grace, and he's doing evangelism, which you and I both, we all know that that is a word that has fallen on disrepute today. Like, evangelism is a four-letter word. People don't appreciate, uh, I mean, no. No, evan- evangelism is what a lot of people dislike about Christianity itself. Many, many believe that it's arrogant to do evangelism. It's, it's wrong to try and get people to convert to your religious beliefs. Very narrow and intolerant to maintain that your faith is superior in any regard to anybody else's faith. Now, I don't want to go into a lot of detail here because we've talked about it before. But what I've tried to say in past, and I guess I'll say again, is, is evangelism is kind of inevitable. Every Everybody does some form of evangelism. I mean, to say, as many people do, that all religions are objectively the same and nobody should try and convert anybody else to their faith, well, I mean, what you're doing effectively is you're, you're trying to impose your view of reality on me. You're doing evangelism too. Because uh, everybody has a view of the way the world is and how people ought to operate in it. And we do this over cups of coffee all the time. We try and persuade each other why there's a better way to see things or a better way to do things. You know, in that sense, evangelism is unavoidable. I guess if the, um, if the criticism, the gripe, is that a lot of people do evangelism in a, a pompous in conceited manner, then I would agree with that. There's a lot of manipulative ways to do evangelism. But Isaiah's not doing that here. Did you notice just how warm the invitation is in verse 1? I mean, he, he says to a, a bunch of homeless people, effectively, if you are totally broke, you can still come and, and get... I mean, he's not, even, he's not inviting you to save Mart. This is Whole Foods that he's throwing the door open to come and just buy that big old slab of brie, <laughs> uh, buy that beef brisket. It's, it's all free. There's a really a warm and winsome way of, of doing it. The other thing, and you might not have noticed this, and I, I didn't notice it until I started reading some um, scholars' interpretation of the passage, but the food that is offered in Isaiah 55. Do you notice what the food is here? I'm going to look. It's water, wine, bread. Water, wine, um, 
milk and bread. Thank you. Water, wine, milk, and bread. WWMB. <laughs> and water, wine, milk, and bread. Does that ring any bells? Like, do you, you, your biblical memory banks start to jingle a little bit? Water, wine, milk, and bread was basically the was the the diet of the promised land that God had uh, promised his, his people. Like that is the the most basic dietary thing that he was going to make available to all of his people, which is just a picture of the great nourishment that he wants to provide. He ends up making that available to everybody. It doesn't matter your race or your nationality or your economic status. Everybody is able to come and get the food of the promised land. Isn't that cool? So that's number one. There's a Man, there's a great, there are good ways to do evangelism, winsome ways to do But number two, I want you to see here his insight into the human condition, his insight into, uh, into our hearts. And I'm taking this from verse two where he says, look with me, verse two. Why spend money on what is not bread? Why spend your labor on what does not satisfy effectively, the part of the struggle of the human condition is we end up wasting a lot of our resources on bread and water and wine that, that doesn't really satisfy. We This is also something we've talked about a, a lot before. C.S. Lewis, in his, the, his chapter on hope in mere Christianity, has that great section where uh, he says, most people, if they really look into their own heart... And that's what I'm urging you to do right now, he says. Most know that they want something. They they acutely want something in this world that this world will not supply. He says, he goes on, there are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give to you, um, that offer to give a lot to you, but never end up keeping their promise. So you remember the longings that you experienced when you first fell in love or when you first thought of some foreign country or beach, a foreign beach that you wanted to visit, or when you first took up some subject that excited your, your knowledge. Uh, all of those longings, no marriage, no vacation, or no learning, have ever really been able to satisfy He goes on, I'm not speaking of that which would ordinarily be called an unsuccessful marriage or a bad vacation or a bad class. On the contrary, I'm speaking of even the very best possible ones. But at the end of the day, there there is always something that we've grasped at um, that that fades from uh, our being able to, to capture it. Indeed, your spouse may be the best spouse. The scenery might be exquisite. It might turn out to be you know, the fabulous job that you, that you anticipated. But somehow in the morning, if we're being honest, it's always bread that doesn't really satisfy. And that's, I guess that's how you would maybe try to connect with a non-Christian person who, um, you know, who's... who's wrestling with life is you just connect with the the point of their human condition where they're man they're wasting so many of, of their time energy and effort and resources on things that that really don't satisfy the deepest desires of their hearts so you just connect there with them you talk to them about that 
That's number two, the human condition. Number three, moving on quickly because my back hurts. Number three, oh, there's a sense of urgency in Isaiah's good newsing, his evangelism. And I take this from verse six. He says, seek the Lord, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on the Lord while he is near. Um, and we, we come across this frequently in the scriptures, that there's an, there's an urgency. I mean, most people assume that God will always, he's kind of always there. He's always near. He's always findable for me. Like, why rush? Uh, I can just knock on his door, which apparently is omnipresent. It's like, hey, God, you know, I'm, I'm ready now. And there's, we can do it on my timetable. But the, eh, the Bible never, never speaks that way. There's, there's a sense that the clock is ticking. Did you ever learn this poem in Sunday school before? A little poem. It goes, there is a time we know not when, a point we know not where, that marks the destiny of men to glory or despair. There is a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's patience and his wrath. In other words, there's, there is a point of no return. There's an invisible point of no return, spiritually speaking. Um, I, we know that there are physical points of no return. Like you can damage your, your lungs by smoking for long enough. At, at what point, you know, they're not recoverable. And, and there's a sense, the Bible talks about this. You, you can damage your soul. Your soul can become so deadened by hearing messages sermons what what it can you can it can get so injured over time that it can no longer be wakened up to like oh now is the time i there, that's there is a there's an invisible line that and i i don't i hope that i hope you know what i mean the most powerful example of this that i can think of is found in luke chapter 14 Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells the parable of the great banquet. And in that story, basically a master is going to throw this lavish banquet. And in their world, the way that they would do it, they would send out an invitation and they would get RSVPs. And based on the number of RSVPs they received, they would end up uh, knowing how much meat to cook. Because, I mean, the meat was the expensive stuff. So, if uh, only two to four guests were coming, then you would cook a chicken. If five to eight guests were coming, then you would cook a duck. If 10 to 15 guests were coming, you would boil up a young goat. And if 15 to 75 guests were coming, then you would, uh, you would kill the fattened calf. You'd go all out, right, with the beef brisket. The story Jesus tells is that the invitations have gone out, people have RSVP'd, the the uh, meat has been chosen. It has been prepared. Like all of the festivities are ready. The herald goes out and, and says, "Come, the banquet's here. You know, the party's the party started." And then there's this surprising turn of events. What happens? <laughs> Everybody starts to make make excuses why they can't come. 
Verse 18, but they, Luke 14, 18. They all alike began to make excuses. The first guy said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. <laughs> As if you would like buy a field sight unseen. I mean, he already, he already knew it was there. And then another guy says, verse 19, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. <laughs> oxen test drive. <laughs> Please excuse me. Verse 20, still another said, I just got married, and so I can't come. The suggestion being, like, today's my wedding day, which they would never do a banquet on the same day as, if your whole town is doing a wedding, like, you don't throw a lavish banquet on the same day. It's, it's a lame excuse. But that, the curious thing is, all of these lame excuses, in the, the words of the speaker, have a strange plausibility to them. Why is, why would somebody be resistant to like going to the messianic banquet, the thing that we've all been waiting for, like the, the fullest fulfillment of the deepest longings of our life? Like why would somebody end up making stupid Excuses. Why would there be this internal reluctance that would keep you from, from coming? And um, I just wonder if, it, if they haven't crossed that line. If, if that invisible line hasn't, hasn't gone, um, gone across. The story, well, uh, we'll, we'll get back to the story in just, in just a second. But number four, so... The power of God's word. The power of God's word. And I'm taking this from verse 10. He uses this metaphor. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and water the earth and make it grow and make the the flowers bud and and all of that. So too, my word, he says, so my word that goes forth from my mouth will not return to me empty, but my word will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Like God's word, he says, has a unique power to create faith inside of people's hearts. Now we'll go back to Jesus' parable of the banquet. So if you remember the story, after everybody makes their lame excuses, what does the master of the banquet say? Does he say, well, all right, I guess we'll just have a lot of empty chairs. (laughs) Is that what he says? No, he says, go back, you my servants, go into the towns and, and find the lame, the blind, the crippled, the beggarly, and compel them to come. In their world, if you were on the bottom of the social pyramid, like the lower rungs of... It, you, and you get a big invitation to a party, there's almost a sense that po- you'd have to be polite and say, no, no, I, who, me? No, I can't come, no. Um, oh, look what time it is. <laughs> the, the, I don't, I've never been part of a, an, an Eastern Oriental culture, but, but the dictates of, of politeness are such that you would just have to say, no, no, no. Uh, and in order for basically the, the master of the banquet to get you there then, his servant would have to drag you gently there to the party. 
itself. And that's what ends up happening. The servants drag them in. And then after they, they come in, the servant says to the master, well, we still got plenty of seats at the table. What should we do? And he says, go out into the countryside. Like, go to, go to anybody and everybody and, and drag them in because we're going to have ourselves a party tonight. When I hear that story of Jesus and I combine it with Isaiah 55, I mean, it is a great way of understanding our task of evangelism. I mean, we don't have to do it in such a way that it's manipulative and preys on the fears or the weaknesses of other people. There's, there's a way to, um, to just gently tug it's the way of an invitation. I mean, I, you want to come with me to Bible study fellowship on Wednesday this week. Now, that's a, an extremely powerful invitation to give. If you believe that God's word has the kind of power that he speaks about here, then just getting people around the word has the power to create faith. You just... Wonderful things. And um, there are people here who your spiritual life began by some mere invitation. How many of you were just invited to something, church, Bible study, uh, college, high school, college ministry, high school ministry? How many of you got an invitation to take you to a place where you could hear the word and that was the beginning of your spiritual journey in life? Raise your hand if that was true of you. Okay, not as many as I... Failed sermon illustration. <laughs> what? Th- that's right. Amen. You only need one. <laughs> one of those. Um, so come. You know, come to a market. If you're penniless, if you're beggarly, if you're broke, because the gospel is free. Now, if you tell, and I'm going to quit right here. If you tell somebody that the gospel is free, what is their initial response going to be? They're going to be deeply suspicious of that because, I mean, nothing's free. I mean, there's always fine print at the bottom of the page. It's always give us your credit card number, and if you forget to cancel in a week, then we'll charge it. Free is always code word for manipulation in our world, isn't it? You say, oh, the God, I mean, salvation, reconciliation, restoration, peace, eternal life, it's free. And people are like, yeah. And then, well, then you just reply and say, yeah. Like in, the, in our world, free doesn't mean free. But verse 8, my thoughts, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. As, high, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Um, you know, with God, there is no um, bait and switch. It is free. So come, buy, and eat, because God's ways are different. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we do pray that in this Advent season, you would renew inside of us a hunger to crave the true bread of heaven, your Son, Jesus Christ. 
renewing us a, a craving and an intense spiritual desire for a good food. You know, not the junk food that surrounds us, but good food. We pray that in the coming weeks, the gospel would become more and more alive to us. The Holy Spirit would satisfy our appetites in Christ. And as a, we pray that we would feast on his banquet. And if there's anybody that has been coming to All Saints for a, a while now, and they still haven't professed faith in Jesus, they still haven't been baptized and, and been invite, welcomed to the communion table with us, then we pray that your spirit would um, show them the lameness of their excuses so that they too uh, would feast on your son. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.